you guys, we just had an epic conversation with the incredible Kirstie Holden all about ADHD. And we talked about it from the perspective of being a female entrepreneur and how it can um, manifest, I suppose, in your life and some of these struggles that you might be facing as somebody who identifies with it. Now, I also want to say that this episode is for you if you are neurotypical as well, because I am not somebody who does identify with ADHD, but I was able to get so much value out of it in terms of thinking about how I could better support my clients, my customers, even in my content and the way that I maybe structure things or say things. There's so much gold in there about how we can better build our businesses to support those that do have uh, ADHD or are neurotypical in that sense. Yeah, it's a it's such a good episode. And I'm someone that I don't have a diagnosis of ADHD, but it's something that I'm really curious around. I really resonate with a lot of the the science as well as the memes <laughs> around ADHD. <laughs> Feels very relatable. And this conversation is really an open book, isn't it? It's it's us just speaking from our heart, our experiences, and Kirsty has so much knowledge to share and a few techniques that can support people that are on that spectrum. But equally, I think also there's some crossover with just having full days and full minds, you know, all of these techniques Mm. can support you of just moving forward with ease. Yeah, absolutely. And also Kirsty is a certified ADHD practitioner as well. So it's not just his sharing some things that I've seen on Instagram, it's very much from that understanding, that studied perspective. So it's not just about, you know, anecdotal um, experiences. There is also the science that we're sharing in this episode too. And the whole purpose of it is really about raising awareness so that we can have more compassion for ourselves and more compassion for other people as well. So we hope you enjoy this episode. And thank you, Kirsty. I'm Becky Lloyd-Pack. And I'm Becky Stanton. And this is the Doing Business Differently podcast. So, Kirsty, I am so excited to um, have you on the podcast today talking about all things ADHD, uh, specifically when that comes to being a female business owner. Now, I'm really interested to listen to this conversation and to be part of it from the perspective of somebody who is neurotypical, because I think from yeah my perspective, I want to know how I can better structure my services and actually make things more accessible for people that do identify with having ADHD. Um, and I don't want to speak for Becky here, but I know, in fact, Becky, yeah. you speak yourself. <laughs> so I'm someone that really resonates with what I hear and see around like neurodivergence. And I don't know whether it is the most ADHD thing that I've done nothing with it to even like see if I, if I do fall into the categories, but I feel a lot of the blocks and in my business can come down to the mental side of things, like the, the, the functionality of the brain rather than just the mindset. So I'm just going to be a sponge, I think, and asking lots of questions from someone that's just curious of, am I ADHD and how can I support myself in business? Yeah. So I'd love if you could start, Kirsty, by introducing yourself to our listeners so they know who they're listening to. So I'm Kirsty Holden. I'm an online business manager, effectively, um, but I do have many 
strings to my bow, let's say, which is probably a contribution of my ADHD. I'm not going to lie. But I effectively help business owners to create manageable strategies, strategies that fit with the way that their brain works and the way that the vision that they've got for their business um, to sustainably grow, to stop burning the candle at both ends, um, whether it's getting more organized, growing a team, building a support network, just finding those things that can support you and the way your brain works um, just to give you that bit more energy and to focus on what it is that you want to focus on effectively. Mm-hmm. And you shared with us just before that you have just received your certification. Do you want to share what that's for? I am officially CPD accredited as an ADHD practitioner. which is why again so thrilled to have you on um the podcast because i think it's really important that we take this conversation seriously like i think there's almost been an instagramification of adhd to a certain perspective and there seems like there's a lot of chat a lot of noise out there so yeah thrilled that you're gonna bring like that perspective to the podcast and actually i've kind of got two questions really one how did you how would you maybe define what adhd is at this point just as we're like off the you know at the offset of the episode but also i want to know a little bit more about your personal journey and how you actually found that you have adhd so i think my journey would probably be easier for me to explain how i define it effectively so Mm -hmm. i have when I was younger, I always thought there was something wrong with me. Mm. To to be put bluntly, I always thought, I always expected somebody to come to me and say, you've got so-and-so or you are suffering. I, I don't know what it was. And I never went to doctors. I didn't have issues like that. I had a child psychologist when I was very little because I had issues going to school. Um, I used to have my child psych, And I'm pretty sure she was a psychologist. Obviously, I was like 11, 12 but what she did, how she spoke, I remember vividly the conversations in my mum's living room. They gave me a, um, a Spice Girls sticker book. So I could collate the Spice Girls stickers that you got from the shops when we were like, do they still do that now? I know they do football ones, but I think they probably ones. do. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that was my kind of reward for going to school because I suffered with massive anxiety. However, it was around certain times of my um, school life, effectively. It wasn't all the time. It was in preschool. It was then when I went to primary school. It was then in the first two years of secondary school. And every, all the other time, I was fine. It was that transitional thing, which now we know we struggle with as ADHDers massively. Um and so do other people, other neurodiverse um, people as well. Autism, people with autism suffer massively with environmental changes, obviously sensory issues, that kind of thing as well. So that for me, I I could see it as, it, looking back now, I could see the maybe not the first start of it, but a, an area of which in my life that I really struggled with it very early on. I knew from suffering and and struggling through school that school was not my thing I didn't like the change every time we had a new year I had a new planner and I had new classrooms to go to and new teachers and 
new friends to make potentially when we switch schools. I knew come 16 that school was not the environment for me. I couldn't, I just couldn't learn like that. I wanted to be out and I was very, I was very techie. I was very, um, give me a problem, I'll solve it, that type of thing. I wanted to be out in the big wide world. I wanted to be making money, but I wanted to be still learning. I just had to find that place that I could learn and that fit me and fit my brain because, yeah, I could not think of anything worse than sitting in front of a lecturer shout talking at me <laughs> and then me having to go write some ridiculous thousand however many thousand word essay like that was just not going to come out of me mm. and I knew that quite early on but there's also a lot of people that don't realize that early on and then also struggle with they might enjoy the you know the structure of school learning and they might take it in that was all but when it comes to university when they don't have that parental support around them getting them to school and getting the clothes and getting the bags packed and the packed lunches when they're out in that big wide world that's when some other people struggle mm -hmm. so i think it's really important to know as well that just because you know one person with adhd doesn't mean you know adhd it's a massive thing. Like that, that is a prime example of how it is presented in my younger years and my younger life. Other people might have still now at 37 discovered that they've got ADHD, but never had any of that. So mm -hmm. I think it's, yeah, it's very important to know that for sure. Um, and I think that's where, we, when we talk about defining what ADHD is, it's so hard. And realistically, as an ADHDer, I do speak to a lot of people and we do all have different experiences of ADHD or how it affects us, how it presents in our own life. In a nutshell, it's the deficient, it's, it's the attention element of it mm -hmm. that we struggle with the most. It's the, all the comorbidities that we have that go alongside the ADHD. It's the anxiety. That's not like, ADHD on its own that's a part of the ADHD that is amplified because of the way that my brain is wired so although ADHD symptoms might present differently for different people depending on xyz is there a kind of fundamental thing that's happening in the brain that's causing these things to manifest so is it like actually the reason that some of these situations arise for people that have ADHD is because actually this is the way their brain is wired? Like, is there a consistency in that in terms of how we can, like how it's defined scientifically, I suppose? There is lots, and especially now, lots and lots of, well, a lot more research being done on the scientific elements of it. Um, but one of those, which I actually found really, really interesting, is that we all have like two brain networks, right? We have the default mode network and we have the task positive network. We all have them. Now the brain should swing between both of them. Um, meaning you can't use both like at the same time. It's, it's kind of one or the other. Now you, you can probably load the dishwasher and sing a song, but you can't really like write an email and decide what you're having for dinner. Like with, as in really focus on one or the other, like you, we do. And that's the issue. Our networks 
usually it should be that one's one switch on, the other one should be switched off, but they're not in us. That they're like doing whatever they want to do, whenever they want to do it. And that's sometimes why a lot of our brains can just feel full because mm. our brain doesn't is not a neurotypical brain. That 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 is how a brain should work. And I say that in inverted commas if anybody is listening um to this. <laughs> but that's how we're easily distracted or we're struggling to focus on one thing because we've just got so much going on up there. Again, because of the way that it it it's working. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm just absorbing because I feel like for anyone that feels they might be on the spectrum, I feel like it kind of triggers those moments for you where like where some of your stories of like where there's re- where it resonates and something that I've been exploring, I'd love to hear from your perspective, especially from that ADHD accreditation, some of the narrative I love that word, Becky. Was it Instagramification? Yes, <laughs> it was. Well. I love I that. I made it up. <laughs> I love it. Is some of the narrative that I'm hearing is it's really, it's becoming more obvious for me as an adult, as a business owner, and who works from home a lot, <laughs> doesn't go out that much. And I mean, I'm, I'm not a hermit, but <laughs> you know, I spend a lot of time indoors. <laughs> but there's a, this narrative of, is it ADHD or is it this burnout and actually the adulting side of things? Are we really looking after ourselves in the right way? And I probably haven't phrased that right. But do you have a perspective on like, is there any difference? Or are some is there a kind of crossover between the two? I think there is. And I think, again, naturally, everybody can experience burnout. Everybody can experience anxiety. And I think on one hand, a lot of people don't like, especially people with ADHD, don't like it when people say, well, am I a bit ADHD? I've suffered with anxiety or I didn't want to go to school. or I didn't. But it's the, everything's like over, and and I don't know what the word is. Becky, you're, you're good with words. Like over exaggerated, maybe, let's say. Everything's like everything that we experience is what a lot of people experience, but it's our challenges and difficulties of of trying to get out of it or trying to get trying to solve it or trying to it's tough, it's heavy, and it's way heavier than like the distraction, for example. Somebody going through who is neurotypical, perhaps in university or something, who knows they need to focus and they have a deadline and they they'll just get it done. We will overthink. We'll probably not submit it until the actual like five to midnight on the night that it's due. Like we, everything just feels over. I'm still, I'm not happy with exaggerating. Is it amplified? Is it like? Yeah, exactly that. Um, And that's the issue. So when we get into that stage of whether it's anxiety or burnout or overwhelm or whatever that might be, when we literally just hit a brick wall, it's the trying to get out of it that is one of the most challenging things. One, to notice that we're doing it for a start because we're constantly on, but also to try and get out of it is not as easy as somebody who is probably neuro, you know, who is neurotypical. 
Yeah. So there's almost like there's an increased susceptibility in the first place to experiencing these things. And then because of the way that your brain is wired, actually dealing with that situation and being able to overcome it and again, inverted commas, perform in the normal world in the way that our culture is set up, you're also at somewhat of a, a disadvantage there because your brain simply isn't wired in the same way. Because that's one thing I think there's almost like, there's something I guess I, I would want to say from my perspective, even as a non adhd a lot of the way that we talk about it is like, disadvantage there's a lot of like negative chat around it and I'm sure people's experience is negative but actually in a lot of circumstances it's purely because our world is not set up in a way that supports uh, neurodiversity and so yes it's a disadvantage in this society but it doesn't mean that you are a person who has something wrong with them necessarily like I think there's sometimes just we can do with labels is we can make them mean bad things about people. And actually that's only when you put it into context of a certain situation. So I think it's just acknowledging that like in our current world, that's why I think there is a lot more struggles because the way of our educational system is set up, because the way that uh, most business practice is preached and taught is for people with neurotypical brains. So I just wanted to throw that out there in case there's anybody listening that is maybe like, oh yeah, I'm on the ADHD spectrum and actually feels like it's a real negative thing. And it's like, oh God, it means I'm broken. It means I'm wired wrong and and almost like piling on the self-hate. Like I just want to caution against that because it's really easy to take a label and make it mean something about you beyond just the situation that you're actually experiencing. So I just wanted to <laughs> throw that out there. No, it's exactly that. There's nothing wrong with us. We're all individuals. We've all got different personalities, different traits, different, you know. I, as a neurotypical, Becky, there'll be things that you're better at than me just because it's you. You're being you. You're doing you. There'll be things that I'm better at than you, maybe because of my ADHD, but also maybe just because that's me. Yeah. 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 So with like, with this topic of like the label of ADHD, is it something that you have actively pursued getting, Kirsty? Is it something that you like, I want to get that so that I can then proceed with whatever that brings? For me personally, yes. Because I, as I said earlier, I have always felt, even as a child, there is something wrong. I was always waiting for somebody to say, I've got something. Yeah, here's why it's so hard. Yeah, maybe that, maybe so. Yeah, maybe exactly that. Maybe not telling me that I'm sick or I'm ill or just acknowledging why, yeah, things are tough why I do things the way I do, why I have the feelings that I have, why I suffered so much through school. If somebody would have just been able to say, actually, I say that, I don't know what I would have been like if I'd have been labelled it in school. I think that's a completely different um, conversation scenario. But right now, that is why I am, I will wear that label. For me, it makes, I've, I've struggled for 37 years. Not that that label will avoid me from struggling here on in, 
but just having that knowledge of knowing what this thing is just prevents me from having to go against the grain for another 30 years or trying to, you know, do things that I physically and mentally are unable to do. Yeah. I mean, this definitely resonates for me and I'd love to hear your advice. <laughs> like a like a dear, <laughs> please help me. <laughs> like an agony aunt. Fantastic. <laughs> Because I feel like in everything you're saying, the patterns that show up for me, and I can see it in childhood as well, where I, I was the girl who was the distractor. She was like, she's great, she's a lovely girl, but she distracts everyone around her. And also she's not really fulfilling her potential. We think she can do more, right? So that was always, and they were always like, like shut up, Becky, I'm still talking. <laughs> but yeah, still past my 11 plus. I went to a grammar school, which is all, you know, the cleverest people you know in the air again inverted commas cleverest people people that can pass tests and then went on to university but my experience was always really hard I always felt like I was struggling and as you mentioned Cassie like university was just out of my depth and I managed to do a a degree where I, I, I had so many more sessions than any of my friends I had to not just do a dissertation. I then had to do a presentation in front of like everyone. (laughs) Like everything I was doing was so much harder. And for me, how it shows up is this kind of pattern of like, I start things, I don't finish them. And I seem to have potential, but then I get reflected back that I'm not fulfilling it. There's almost something that holds me back apparently from like fulfilling my potential. There's a big avoidance and procrastination pattern. So especially with adulting, like if I'm into something, it's happening. That's why I think my business has grown because I'm into it, right? So I'm passionate about it. I want to work on it. But in terms of adulting stuff, that if I don't want to do it, it's not going to get done, right? And it just sits there and sits there and sits there until there's a moment where it just feels easy and I do it. And from the scientific side of that, um, the brain, the ADHD brain needs interest to focus. If it's not interested you'll get jack shit <laughs> really like the, there's no, if our brains are naturally low on dopamine so we if there's no interest our brains like cannot even get activated to do the thing the neurotransmitters in the brain like need to like be fired up that that needs to be fired up to do whatever it is that we need to do and not getting fired up and not being produced so just from the scientific like that it's not that we don't want to do what it is that we want to do. It's our brain is not letting us do what we want to do. Yeah. Or we have to do things before and put the effort and the time into getting ready to do the thing. Which is frustrating, right? And then by the time we get there, we're done out. That's it. So something that I have to, I almost have to like trick myself. It's like... I don't have children, but I imagine it's like trying to get your children to eat vegetables, right? I have to do all these things that make me do the simplest of tasks. For example, I think everyone who knows me and follows me knows I love nature. I love going on dog walks. There's some days I just don't want to go. So I have to say to myself, Becky, just walk towards the woods. If you don't fancy it, then come back. But I know by the time I'm at the woods, I'm all in. So I have to like kind of do this stick and carrot thing to myself to do the most simplest of things. Like I missed, this is very boring, but I missed the bins this week. (laughs) And I know it's because a part of me couldn't be bothered. 
and like there was no incentive really to do the bins <laughs> but it's this and if I say that to my sister who is neurotypical she's like just do the bins and I know me and Becky had a conversation in the new year about goals we're voice noting and I was like right Becky I've got some goals what advice do you have for me to bring them alive and she was like just do it and I was like I can't <laughs> So I'd love to hear from you, like in terms of like ADHD and goals, you know, and it's not, I can't, that's definitely a story based on, I've tried many times and it's hard, right? I can't just do the thing, right? I have a whole production in order to do the thing. So I'd love to hear from you, like for people that feel this way and it might not even be, you know, neurodivergence, it might actually be like these procrastination behaviors, right? These avoidance what advice do you have? So it's similar to what you just said as well, just before we go on to, on to kind of like, yeah, some of the, the managing strategies, if you like. Um, one of the things that made me laugh and similar to probably what you experienced in university, and I'd have been exactly the same, again, overcompensating for things that you are doing, you feel like you need to do more, just because that's how we've it's been forever. Like just being has never been enough. We've always, again, like a, a really good example, what you just mentioned about the whole production before we even do the thing. That's what we have to do in probably the majority of things that we do day to day. Um, so yeah, my certification, actually, the case study that I put in, she replied to me, said it was excellent, all that, give me feedback. Yours was the one that was the longest, is what she said. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> I'm not at all surprised by that. I'm not at all surprised by that. Um, but we also go all in. And that's one of the massive benefits of being an entrepreneur. We take risks. We're impulsive. We, yeah, it's it's a mass, it's a benefit, but it still doesn't take away from the fact it's also a challenge. And I think like what I'd say is when we talk about kind of any sort of healing or or any kind of, self-development and looking at self the key step is always awareness that helps actually you then decide what to do next and I think for a lot of people again I say this from an assumption point of view but almost actually just having the awareness of like ah I can now actually understand this thing from a almost like an emotionally detached perspective which will then allow me to to start to work with it so that suddenly you can turn something from a um, a potential negative story that you have about yourself into like, right, okay, this is the situation that I'm dealing with. How can I now, knowing this, what can I now do? How can I now respond? Like, yes, okay, maybe I do need a whole production and maybe that's fine. Maybe that doesn't have to be a problem. Maybe that just needs to be an awareness that I build into the way that I do things. So yeah, I think like that awareness piece is just so, so important for people. And then, yeah, touching on to like some of the um, management strategies and actually what you did before um, before this chat is you sent us a couple of different like um, topics to talk about and ways that it can mainly, that, that it can manifest for people. So I thought actually it might be quite nice to go through these almost individually and then potentially speak to like a, a strategy to, to help with that. So one of the things that you... Um, spoke about is just difficulty with executive functioning so do you want to talk about what that means and maybe what people can do um, to support themselves so the executive functioning 
affects our planning, the organisation, the time management element, which is a massive part of entrepreneurship. Like we, we, we do need all of that, really, to, to get going, to be organised, you know, to run a business effectively, whether we like it or not. And when we're busy, we need to dig deep. Like we we need a lot of that stuff um, to, to manage people, to manage tasks, to manage projects, to manage client work potentially as well. The pressure to, for all of those things to be in order and for them to be working and doing what they need to do um can really it can, it's a massive pressure for people with adhd because it doesn't come naturally to us we have to work for it as i said we have to dig deep to be on time and becky you, you might not want to share but I, you know i think other people would resonate are you somebody who is always late or always early because with ADHDers, it seems to be it's one or the other it's never. I'd rather be one hour early than one minute late. So I'm, if something starts at nine, I'm there at eight. Yeah, exactly. That's obviously, again, with our, for me, my anxiety would be through the roof if I was like late or rushing or, mm-hmm. yeah. However, when I'm in, when I'm in the house and when it's the weekend, I completely switch off. Like my brain is like my ADHD brain is on completely. And my husband regularly says to me, Kess, you have absolutely no concept of time at all. But when I'm in that zone, when I'm in this zone, when I'm sat at my desk, when I'm working, doing what I need to do, I have to switch brains. Like, I really have to focus. And then come the weekend, I'm just, I'm just a hot mess. (laughs) Yeah, well, so when I was in my corporate job, everyone used to say to me, Becky, you are so organized. You're like one of the most organized people. And so I had this like mask on. I was like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, you don't know the real me because the same thing at the weekend, I'm just this lying on the sofa, recovering, so exhausted because I was trying to, it was all the the production, right? In order to be successful in my career and to function, <laughs> to have a job, it required so much of me. And I had to then be the most organized person where everything was scheduled I had to arrive early because I probably had to like get myself prepared for the day so I was always one of the first into the office one of the last leaving because I'd been so distracted during the day had to do my work you know like in the evenings so yeah that had like a big rip effect but everyone from the outside was like you're a hard worker and you're so organized and I'm like I'm not (laughs) or I am but it's a struggle effort of 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 what it's taken to be where you need to be on time to get that paperwork sorted, to blah, 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 whatever that thing might be, is massive. Yeah, it's overcompensation, right? Like having to overcompensate for for what you're kind of dealing with and the way that you you naturally function, all of that overcompensation almost comes at the cost that the weekends you guys are like, oh, God, all out. Yes. Gone. And I think Gone. one of the um, things actually that, that I would, and, I, and other people might also welcome this actually when I went away a few a month ago now when I last went away and I flew from an airport I one of my friends an ADHD friend had said to me and recommended that I get one of those sunflower lanyards um as far as you know the hidden disability um thing 
And I was like, I'm fine. Like, I can do an airport. I've never had any issues. Like, that's, that's not a place that I struggle with. Like, you know, I'm I'm fine. And I got one this time. And it was after the event. So I got through the airport fine. I was at, like, it was all good. And to be fair, it was only in Britain that actually they did anything with that anyway. Um, but it was afterwards that I struggled with, like, on the come down so i'd done all of that stuff i'd had to get people i'd had to get my family i'd have to pack my bags i'd had to get the tickets i'd had to do everything get to the check it go through you know it's a really stressful place for anybody let's be honest but the energy that i didn't realize that it was taking me at that time to to with the queues with the craziness with the deadlines with the you have to be there at checking at that time I didn't know until I came back and was literally, yeah, flatlined. Yeah. And I was like, actually, that's a really good... I might not feel at the time the struggle or the difficulties <laughs> or for whatever. And that, that that was just purely my example of, again, in the last few weeks. But we have to be mindful that we don't recognise it all the time. At, when you're in that moment until afterwards until you realize afterwards how much effort that you that that has taken and how much energy that has taken from you so yeah as far as your functioning your executive functioning that that's all part of that as well so you might be able you might be like you said becky you 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 were seen as the organized one but afterwards boom we've gone we need to reset ourselves. We need to have that time. So again, again, I guess for entrepreneurs as well, that could be seen as networking or when you go and out of, out of the office or when you're traveling. We're going to London tomorrow. Luckily, I've got the weekend afterwards, but I don't think I would go out, out on a Monday because I feel like I would probably need a good few days afterwards to yeah. just come down. And I feel like that's something I've naturally built in, actually. And even from socializing and like my sister's got two toddlers and not toddlers, like young children, but especially when they were toddler. Whenever I went to visit them, I'd have to then create one or two days as a come down. And it was almost this, I don't know whether it was masking or just too much energy, like too much going on, but it would really drain me. And I used to always get colds every day. And I know they hold a lot of germs, little kiddos, but I would always come home ill and exhausted and I'd have to recover. And just as you were speaking around that, I feel like a coping mechanism that came from me being on the spectrum and like this energy was using alcohol as a crutch. And I found from a very young age when I say very young, I wasn't that young. It was like 18. It just feels like a lifetime ago. <laughs> it wasn't 10. <laughs> but <laughs> for me, 18-year-old Becky feels like a lifetime ago. But like from, from around 18, I discovered alcohol, discovered its numbing benefits, where those voices, that heaviness dissipates. And so I've definitely noticed this relationship with alcohol. It also links to my like social anxiety and like confidence. Like people saw the real Becky on alcohol. <laughs> she came out blazing. And um, But yeah, I feel like it was also as an entrepreneur, especially where I started my business in lockdown, alcohol came this way of this come down of how to like ground myself and feel more at peace. And 
I don't feel like I need that crutch anymore. It's something I've been consciously aware of and working on. But I feel these coping mechanisms then become the, this ripple effect, right? If we're always on and we feel exhausted, what are we doing to calm ourselves? And I think it's different everyone, but mine was definitely alcohol. So do you think with this, the the sort of strategies, like look at me always like, let's, let's break it focus. Um, do you think it's more a case of Firstly, building awareness around actually what your capacity is for dealing with these things and not shaming it and not feeling bad about it, just kind of acknowledging it. And then either proactively trying to manage your calendar so that you aren't experiencing those situations or knowing that if you are going to be in a situation which is likely to um, be very stimulating in whatever way, planning time afterwards so that you can come down. Do you think that's the that's the kind of takeaway people could maybe implement from that? Yeah, definitely. And you also need to remember as well with the struggles of the planning and the organization and the time management and stuff, we've got a lot of tools available to us digitally as well that yes, and I and I've, I spoke to I think I ref, when I spoke to a doctor I I I used the analogy around um or rather I explained, I felt like I was a little bit on autopilot and all of these things were were doing what they needed to do because my brain was unable to do that. And I didn't feel like I was in control, or, but I needed all of those things to function. Um, So that was, yeah, systems and just awareness, but also acknowledgement of your, your feelings at the time. Like you might need to write things down realistically because I, I I forget things all the time so similar to I do cycle tracking Becky I think I've got that from you that I, like I wouldn't be able to remember how I felt like this time last week so again I know from this January February de- sorry December January time that I felt real like I flatlined I know to put it in next next year like I know to make the note that actually Kirsty, this is probably not the best performing time to be launching new things or bring it you know it's just not so i think yeah being aware of your what you feel when you feel it is is critical yeah and actually i think a good thing on that is instead of making it like okay cool i've now got to set aside time to figure out my ADHD and how I'm going to proactively plan and do all this actually maybe there's a a strategy almost of just being like starting almost starting from today I'm going to start to consciously notice where things crop up that I really struggle with and and as and when they arise that's when I can then proactively do something about it in the moment instead of trying to like sit down and make it another task that then feels overwhelming and and doesn't work with the way your brain is almost actually really grounding in yeah just what dealing with things as they come up and using that as the invitation to be like, oh, look, I went to this networking event and absolutely crashed the next day. Great. Now I know next time I put in a networking event, I need to clear my next day. Or like you just said, you know what? January, historically, now that I've actually stopped and taken notice, I've always like really struggled. So what am I going to do with this information? So yeah, instead of thinking about like, right, it's a sit down one-time task, how I deal with my ADHD. It's almost like I'm going to go on this journey and deal with things as and when they arise instead of, yeah, putting more pressure on yourself, which I'm sure would actually just make you move further away from it. Mm. 
and things different things happen at different times too like like becky you'll know around the cycle if i network on week one i might be fine or i network on week two it might be absolutely fine come week four i'll no that is not gonna happen um yeah but yeah i agree i think that that is a very good yeah tool yeah so then another one of the things that you'd um, mentioned was around this impulsivity and hyperactivity. And you already kind of touched on the impulsivity, which honestly is quite a good thing for entrepreneurs, right? We need to be able to move quickly, respond to tasks. Like actually following those impulses can be a really, really powerful um, thing to do if it's grounded in X, Y, Z, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> um, but yeah, do you want to talk a little bit about impulsivity and hyperactivity in the context of ADHD so as far as the impulsivity is concerned um one of the biggest things that I see is I guess it's in buying patterns I guess it's when people see things that they think they want and they purchase on their impulsivity Mm -hmm. um it's the FOMO it's the shiny object syndrome it's the feeling as well which probably goes into other it's the self-worth it's the feeling that your what you've already got is not good enough and that you need that little bit more or you need that thing that is gonna or that is promised to change your life mm. is that connected to dopamine is yeah, it like, do you think there's a dopamine hit that you get from that? Which, as I know, something is an ADHD brains, you're lowering dopamine, right? We love it. We love it. <laughs> and one of the things as well, and, and I, I know different people have got different strategies, but as far as buy-in is concerned, which, it, again, Becky, like you, you said about um, my self-medication was sugar, sweets. Mm, I, mean, I was about to say food cravings as well, that impulsivity. Yeah. Um, so that could be seen as yeah your however you're self medicating, which could be alcohol, could be it could be anything, both yeah. <laughs> it could be spending, it could be the spending all, all, all three, <laughs> maybe so Becky, spending money on a sugary cocktails. Woohoo! That was my London life. <laughs> uh, but one of the things that a lot of people do, and I'm. I, I do do this now. I'm not as bad as I used to be, but I know, again, that doesn't mean that it's never going to come around again. It's just at this time in my life, I've probably got other priorities that are taking my money, for example, <laughs> like the kids. But as far as spending's concerned, sit with it. That's the only thing that you can do is don't, do not press that button yet. I'm not saying don't press the button. It might genuinely be something that you would benefit from. But if you, for example, added something to your Amazon cart and just left it, like then went off and left it there, would you go back to it? You'd go back to it if you really wanted it or if you really needed it. If you didn't, you're probably not going to go back to it. I feel like I saw Becky's reaction then. Like, I feel like you'd been seen. <laughs> I'll, I'll send you a picture of my Amazon. Um, you know, when, when it's in the cart, but you actually want to buy something. So is it like, wait for later? I'll, I'll send you a picture of how many things are in that because that's exactly what I do me and my husband he's he's also on the ADHD spectrum but he's got the more masculine side of things um but yes yeah, so our Amazon car is ridiculous 
What I also do is in my, on my phone, like in the internet page, if I see something, I just, I just open a new page for it. And again, I'll send you a picture of how many are there. But I know that if it's coming up multiple times for me, then I'll invest because I know that it's aligned and it feels good. But there was definitely a pattern of, I want it, I got it just, and we've done just in a money podcast episode as well. So it's a little bit about that as well. Um, but yeah, so that's beautiful. And that's something I naturally gravitated to actually of just sitting with it and being more intentional, right? Where it's not just, as you said, on autopilot, of just these ways of being, same with food and alcohol. Well, we mentioned as well, I think I've, I've touched on this before in, in, in the pod, but when, like, obviously money mindset is a, is a big thing anyway, isn't it? And growing up and all that kind of thing. But our society and environment as an ADHD also plays a massive part. Now, for me, my mum, when she was younger, never spent anything. Like, she never did. However, if she'd have been and had that impulsivity and bought everything that she sees she'd I probably also would have taken that and been somebody who couldn't put something in my cart and walk away so that then that's purely from the environment that I've also grown it's we we take a lot in from our surroundings and yeah society I guess as well as an ADHD and I think it's that thing it's coming back to the like increased susceptibility to these things and so if you're in a certain environment it can actually reinforce it and amplify that pre-existing susceptibility because maybe somebody without ADHD with more of a with a neurotypical brain could be in that same situation and would respond differently so it's I think it's all like everything's interconnected and it's not just like oh the reason this happened is because you have ADHD it's it's obviously we all live you know, very um, diverse lives and have grown up with our own set of ex experiences. But I think where the importance with the ADHD label, diagnosis, understanding comes in is just that awareness piece of, cool, I know I have this susceptibility. And again, I, I speak from a complete like <laughs> neurotypical person. Um, but I recognize so much of what you're talking about in my husband. And it's really interesting to listen because I'm like, he does that, he that so I'm almost like cool okay I'm gonna just take these nuggets but actually I feel like I've gone off on a tangent now from that position now recognizing it in my husband I'm able to almost understand it a little more and so where I would come from that position of like you know just do the thing like why are you doing that like he has got so many tabs open on his phone and it stresses me out but he'll say if he closes it he'll forget about it and it'll just it'll just never happen whereas for me I'm like what <laughs> it's that out of out of sight out of mind mm -hmm. that's a massive thing for ADHDers if we're not seeing it if it's not right in front of us it's probably in there somewhere but it's certainly not at the forefront of our mind to do anything with it which as a business owner can be a problem <laughs> right and with goals right out of sight out of mind I genuinely wake up some days I'm like what's my business what am I doing you know what was the plan today and so like one of, again one of like the supportive measures is I don't know if you've ever seen the film 50 first dates a rom-com one of my faves is where she loses her short-term memory so she watches a video every day to remind her who she is she's got a family and like what's happened to her I genuinely create that for myself because I need it 
I almost need to ground back in and remind myself who I am, what I'm doing, what my goals are. And that's why rituals I'm so passionate about because I need rituals to remember who I am and the direction I'm going and other people are blessed of just knowing and doing. And so it's not like one versus the other, but rituals are so important to me because it has to be in in sight to be in mind. So I'm very visual as well, vision boards, all these things ground me back into that focus because otherwise I'm lost. <laughs> same, same with systems for me. I need those tools. I need those things that are I, I say are holding me up, mm-hmm. really. Mm-hmm. And they, they, and I've said, we can probably rely on, we are probably relying on way too much, but there's nothing that I can do about that, I'm afraid, right now. Yeah. I need I- them. The tools exist for a reason, yeah. right? Yeah. Like, I don't think I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. And I am just going to caveat here, guys. If you're listening and you're like, oh, okay, I want to get into the system stuff. I wanted to, like, I want to find out more about that. Number one, go, obviously, follow Kirsty, and we'll drop her social stuff everywhere. But also, inside the pod, Kirsty has actually done a, um, a masterclass for all of our members, all about the systems um to set up in your business and where to look and where to begin with that so if you do decide to join the pod uh, there is also uh, access to that to that knowledge there as well so and the other thing i want to touch on um is the heightened emotional sensitivity and how that is part of the adhd conversation and i think i've also seen this as well um online a lot of talk about like rejection sensitivity. So I don't know if this is all part of that same conversation around you guys feel things. <laughs> we feel things good. <laughs> we feel well, things hard. Yeah. I mean, there's some statistic out there that I can't remember the exact number, but you will be able to find it. It's something ridiculous. Like as a child with ADHD, we'll have remembered something like 23 thousand more negative comments than somebody who is neurotypical because we just take on everything everything and then obviously throw everything what we've experienced as a child through to now 37 there are still things that come up or that trigger or that yeah is they're tough because we literally take things to heart Somebody could have said something, and one of the examples that I always say is, I remember somebody saying to me on the school bus, a boy, I can picture him, I can see where I was sat on the bus, and he, I think he called me something really stupid, like what children, just ridiculous, I was about 11, and I still remember it. I still remember that exact scenario, and I think... Yeah, rejection, sensitivity, that's all part of it in that we take things personally, we overthink things, we over-exaggerate things um, because we just take on a lot of stuff. Mm. And again, just to say for anybody listening that's like, I experienced that, but I don't think I have ADHD, identifying these things isn't saying that you only experience them if you have ADHD, I think it's it's probably more just, again, about susceptibility to experiencing these things. So I just wanted to throw that in because I can hear, I was going to say a name, a random name, but I'm not going to do it because I don't want to 
aside, I don't tell anything, but I can almost imagine an Instagram comment like, well, I experienced that and I don't have ADHD. And it's like not trying to deny anybody else's experience with this information. But again, it's just that awareness around like, ah, oh, okay, as somebody who is on, um, you know, who is neurodiverse in some way, there may be uh, more susceptibility to experiencing this. And it's just that opening almost of self-compassion and also compassion for others. So me like having compassion for my husband or having compassion for other people in my life. Like I, I feel like that's what awareness is doing here is it's opening the door for compassion um, to, yeah, for all of that. So I just wanted to throw that into the conversation. I agree. And I definitely... I definitely feel like from my coaching perspective, the pattern I see, because I, I have worked with a lot of people on the spectrum, whether diagnosed or whether they feel that they are. And I feel like the ultimate theme, and I don't know where this com comes up for you as well, Kirsty, with how you support people, but it is this, I'm different. There's this identity that's formed. So everyone has limiting beliefs in these stories. But what happens when you feel that you are seeing the world differently, and that you're being reinforced with all these messages and these stories are happening around you, the narrative builds that I'm different to everyone else, right? And so I really feel that with, with the clients that I work on and that doesn't necessarily mean a bad thing. One of the things I teach them to do is to own it. Like I'm different, right? Claim it, own it, like step into it, <laughs> like really own your uniqueness. But there's a very shadow side of it of there's something wrong with me. I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy. I'm different. Everyone else, you know, is okay and finding work easy I'm struggling there's something wrong with me and all those things right so I feel like yeah limiting beliefs are universal everyone has them but I feel there's some themes with ADHD as like in the identity like that armor they're, we they're wearing and I'd be interested to know as well from a coaching perspective do you find it like with with those that are on spectrum or the, those that have ADHD does it take a little bit longer to get into trying to I imagine it will personally from what I've experienced I, I don't feel like I make any waves really for a while because it and I feel it's because it's that ingrained in us do you experience that or do you see that as far as it maybe just take a little bit longer to clear yeah I feel there's like two perspectives I think the first pattern I see is this resistance to change because it's felt challenging for so long. Like this is who I am and this isn't ever going to change. I've tried changing in the past, nothing works. So I feel there's that belief and that kind of history, first of all, of this is who I am, but I don't like it. So that kind of battle. And then I think with ADHDers, like from my own perspective as well, the embodiment can be challenging because of the way the brain's wired. You know, if you talk about a new habit with a neurotypical, um, just say it's a, a new workout regime, they're like, okay, I'm going to work out four times a week. It's in my calendar. I'm going to show up. I'm going to be committed. I'm going to do it. There might be some like um, inner work to like make it happen, but there's a consistency. So I feel it, when we're embodying new ways of being, and stepping into new beliefs for, for neurodivergence, there's also this inconsistent pattern. So then there's, it kind of reinforces that, well, I can't change story. So it's kind of like that battle. So it's not saying change doesn't happen, but I feel there's a lot of um, 
forgiveness and love and compassion for that change journey that isn't doesn't feel so A to B. Yeah. And I can probably imagine, again, thinking about just the dopamine thing, when we're setting new habits, like, so my husband and I are doing the 30 days of yoga um, with Adrienne at the moment, and we're on like day 23 or something, I don't know, and the novelty has full on worn off, right? Like the initial, like, let's do this, that's gone. (laughs) But... I'm actually still able to carry on with it. Whereas my husband is really, really struggling. And I know like the reason he does it is because I'm like, I lay his yoga mat out and I'm like, get your butt over there, right? So I'm almost able to provide that anchor. Whereas for me, and again, I wonder if this is connected to dopamine because that initial dopamine source has worn off because the initial spurt of interest, the fascination, the curiosity, because that's dissipated, it's no longer a source of dopamine and therefore the motivation to to do it is a lot harder because our levels are different. Whereas because I already have a, a higher level, I don't require much like uh, like biochemical almost um, motivation to do it because I'm there. Whereas almost he's he's at that different perspective. So I can I can see why even like with the healing journey, with the like setting new patterns, embodiment, once that initial like like oh this is so fun this is interesting once that's worn off and it actually almost like starts to slip into habit territory or when it becomes a habit actually it starts to become unconscious and therefore because of its unconscious nature it's not bringing the dopamine and so it's probably harder to stick I'm again that's just me guessing purely but logically I can understand why that might happen yeah and you know one of the things that would benefit and why it's probably benefiting your husband as well i don't know if either of you or any of you've heard of body doubling before mm-hmm. that's a massive thing for us because that small even though that doesn't seem like a big thing but you just getting his mat out and putting it on that floor mm-hmm. eliminates the need for him to even think about that and he can just go do yeah yeah we do it the same with creative time as well right like it's he he has a hobby that he does and if he's doing it on his own he's just like really struggles whereas like I've got some creative hobbies now so I'm like right come on we're hobbying now so almost like acting that accountability sense and he is able to focus like anecdotally has told me he's able to focus so much longer when I'm in the room doing it together versus on his own so yeah it definitely all resonates and again I think people can maybe take from that a, you can find yourself a, an accountability buddy <laughs> or somebody that can, you know, provide that body doubling. Uh, but also, again, this is all be just guessing, full caveat, but maybe you need to look at ways to keep new habits you're trying to set. You need to find ways to keep them novel. So even if you're trying to set the same habit, is there something new that you can bring to it or a new dimension or aspect to keep it interesting? It's funny you should say that though, as ADHD is, and Becky, you might resonate with this. I know what you're going to say. We love structure <laughs> as much as we love flexibility, mm-hmm. which doesn't help the situation sometimes. But we, if, if, we're, if we're too on this track, doing the same thing, the same all, every day, all day, every day. Yeah, we get bored pretty. Yes. And then it, and then it just goes to pot completely. So it's not about maybe switching all of that things up. Yes, it's just bringing, it's just making it a little bit more exciting. Um, routine for ADHDers is 
a massive like it's so needed it's so needed but it's also something that we do naturally repel against yeah. sometimes yeah because it gets boring yes yeah, for me it's like the mantra for me is variety is the spice of life so i know that i i have a dog so every day non-negotiable there's a a walkies <laughs> she's not here she's not here either she's not gonna prick up but <laughs> but I have to go in a different place most days. I can't do the same walk every day. If I knew that I was just going to do the same path, I'm not going to go. So I genuinely, and some days when like I, I might go and just like intuition guide me. Like I need something new to see. I need to like get a kick out of this walk. And it's kind of owning that now. You know, what I sometimes say as well, sometimes I don't want to use my brain. I literally do, I just want to do whatever it is that my, yeah, my intuition, my body, the, whatever you want to call it. I don't want to think, I don't want to use it sometimes. There's enough stuff going on up there. So yeah, I get that. I do get that. I've actually, we were having that conversation inside the pod, weren't we, about actually how can we, how can we almost build in more spiritual practice times where we move from our head to our body uh, and maybe... Again, I, I don't know this, but I wonder, do you feel like as somebody with ADHD, you do end up spending a lot of time in your head because it is that like management thing of dealing with what you're dealing with? Mm. And, the, and the structure, yeah, because I like the structure. I like preempting when things are going to happen because something comes in, throws me off, I'm done. Mm -hmm. So it's that yeah. structure of... Yeah, knowing what needs to be done. However, and as I said earlier, that autopilot can actually be quite dangerous too because we're not having to use our brain. So those things that you can, whether it is going on that walk and taking another route or even just crossing the road and walking on the other side of the road just springs your mind. I can describe it sometimes as the switch to my brain. Like it physically switches my brain on. And it takes me from that, yeah, that autopilot and that 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 routine to make me think. Actually, this is a different path. Watch that dog shit there. <laughs> don't put that in. Don't put that in. But that, now I remember why I don't walk on this side of the road. <laughs> I'm 100 yeah. percent keeping that in. But it does. But it is. It is. It, that's why it sometimes feels more exhausting, right? Because it, it's not that I've I've found more peace with it. I feel feel when I was younger, I'd be like people can just like, I, and I always remember this actually in my corporate career. I um, I would get the bus to work, and three days in a row, I'd got the bus stop, same people at the bus stop, got on the bus, same people sitting in the same seats, got into work, and the same people were there working, and I literally I lost my shit. <laughs> I was like. If this if this morning happens the same day tomorrow, I don't know what I'm gonna do. I'm literally gonna scream. And everyone looked at me like, Becky, it's a like it's a commute. Like everyone deals with this. What's your problem? And I was like, I don't know, but I can't have the same. Like it felt like I was in like The Sims or like in the Truman Show. And I was like, I cannot. And literally getting a body tingle. And that was like one of my biggest things. Where it felt like a breakthrough for me. It was that like, I need variety. So I started leaving the house at a different time every day. I still was an hour early. <laughs> but I would like leave at a different time. So I knew I wasn't going to be late. 
or I'd start like walking in. So luckily I could walk to work. And I just started realizing that actually I need something different every day, but it is that challenge as a business owner. I know I thrive with variety, but routine helps me. And so it's always trying to find the balance of how do I create a structure and a foundation that I need, even though there's parts of me that doesn't want to do it, but also satisfy that part of me that feels more creative and alive through variety and like workouts and like moving my body is a big one. I can't just do the same workout, you know, every day. I have to do different things, but then it doesn't always feel like the momentum. Do you know what I mean? It's always just like, well, everything feels hard and challenging. Like, why can't I just do one thing? But it's finding peace with it, right? And just coming back to, I want to feel joy. I want to feel alive. And yeah, still working on it. I think we will for a long time. I think it's a, it is, nothing is going to change overnight, especially for people with ADHD, but also neurotypical with new habits. You know, nothing changes like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think like to to sort of bring this bring this baby home, I feel like this conversation's just been brilliant in terms of raising awareness around certain things. And it it's fascinated me how many things you've said that I'm like, well, that's that's the husband. Yeah, that's the husband. Yeah, that's him. Interesting. And almost I'm now excited to go and tell him like, babe, it's not just you. <laughs> It's not just you finding things hard. Actually, there may be some like science behind why this is more difficult for you comparatively to other people that you're seeing. Um, so I think it's fascinating. And I think also that that whole thing that it is a journey, right? It's it's This is the journey you are on. So it's learning to navigate it and you're going to have times when it works and times when it doesn't. And that's the same for everybody. There's just, I think, nuance there with somebody who does have ADHD and purely probably from the perspective that what we see in society is neurotypical brains. That's what we see. So it feels much more difficult because I'm sure if like, if 90% of the world were ADHD and everybody was like, yeah, this is a journey, there'd be a different level of acceptance with it because it's like, yeah, this is normal. I feel normal. So everybody struggles with this. So it doesn't have to like, yeah, it's hard, but there's almost like a solidarity and a community and an acceptance there on like a larger scale. Whereas because it's not, because it's kind of a lot of it is hidden. A lot of it is like, I am different. That adds this whole extra layer of like, you know, on that very um, like evolutionary scale, being different was a threat. Like that was dangerous to be different because it meant X, Y, Z for your survival. So I think there's just, yeah, lots of layers to the conversation. And I'm hoping that whether you are somebody who does identify with having ADHD, you've found some resonance here. You found something that maybe feels like, yeah, okay, there's something for me to kind of be aware of and acknowledge and maybe just start to think about how can I work with this instead of repressing, denying it. And then also if you're somebody like me who is neurotypical, there is a level of awareness because for me, I can now start to understand these things and think about how can I build this into my business? How can I build this into the services that I offer? How can I build this into the way that I'm actually, um, yeah, dealing with my clients so that it is more ADHD friendly or neurodiverse friendly in that sense. So thank you so much, Kirsty, for chatting to us today. It's been such a pleasure. And like I mentioned, if you want to carry on this conversation and be part of our community obviously we have um the pod 
which is essentially a community around the same concepts of doing business differently. And if you are somebody with ADHD, it's probably more of a um, a non-negotiable for you. (laughs) So you are more than welcome to join us there. So thank you so much, Kirsty. Thank you for having me. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you hit that subscribe button wherever you're listening. And if you're listening to this over on our Substack, we'd love for you to join the conversation and let us know your thoughts too. Likewise, if you actively want to explore what doing business differently looks like for you, then do be sure to check out the pod, which is our private community where we share a bunch of resources every month for you to play with as you define your way of doing things. Inside the pod, there's also a ton of live sessions held every month too. To check it out, just head to the show notes below where everything is linked for you to explore further. Thanks so much for listening. Speak soon. Lots of love.